The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in to Dose of Leadership. Great guest today, Mike Hayes, is on the show. He is the former commanding officer of SEAL Team 2, where he led a 2,000-person special ops task force in southeastern Afghanistan. In addition to his 20-year career as a SEAL, he was a White House fellow serving under President George W. Bush and Barack Obama. He's got a new book out there coming out February 9th called Never Enough, A Navy SEAL Commander on Living a Life of Excellence, Agility, and Meaning. Great book. I love having SEALs on my show, as you well know. In fact, if you haven't listened to the Jason Redman episode, I encourage you to do that because Jason and Mike, our guest today, have a connection. They knew each other, have worked, served together. So it was fun having that connection. The book is great. It has all the stuff you would expect in a book from a former Navy SEAL. He's got a ton of lifetime, once-in-a-lifetime experiences in there. Held at gunpoint, been threatened with execution, jumped out of a building rig to explode, helped amputate a teammate's leg, etc., etc. All those split-second life-and-death decisions. All of those dramatic stories are in the book. But don't let that say, well, how will this apply to you? Well, obviously, in those streams, ecstatic circumstances, you can glean some common experience, common sense, leadership lessons that can affect our everyday lives. And it's highlighting those key lessons in leadership, authority, and service, both in our personal and professional lives. It's a great book. We don't talk about so much the dramatic stuff in the in this episode, but we do talk about those everyday lessons that we can apply in our lives and make you better leaders. It's a great conversation. I really appreciated Mike having Mike on the show. I want you to get the book because he did a great thing with this book. All the proceeds of this book are going to his 1162 Foundation. It's what Mike founded. It's an organization that was named after the date President Kennedy commissioned the SEALs. And the whole purpose of his 1162 Foundation is to help families in the special ops community who have lost loved ones. Now, Mike has personally pledged to donate a minimum of $250,000 from the book's royalties, and it helps Gold Star families. Already, they have paid off several mortgages for uh, several Gold Star widows. It's just a fantastic foundation, and um, by buying the book, we can take it well above and beyond the two hundred fifty dollars So it's a great cause. It's a great book. It's something to add to your arsenal in your leadership journey. Hey, I want to tell you, before we jump into the conversation with Mike, uh, a special offer that I'm excited about for 2021. A year ago, this month, I opened up my Dose of Leadership University. I was looking for 30 founding members. I found the 30 founding members, reached out just like I am right now on this on a podcast episode, and I got the 30 founding members in, and we shut the doors, and I started doing life with these 30 people. And the whole idea was behind the university was to create this hub, this hub of leadership, knowledge, and support. And I wanted to see if I could create this impactful and interactive community of like-minded leaders who are searching for significance. And that's what we did. 
And I've been so impressed and so surprised by this interaction of this unique community. It's created this level of accountability, both for myself and for the founding members that allow, has allowed us to grow into the kind of leaders that we were called to be. It exceeded my expectations. Well, now, out of these 30 founding members, I got what I call the Hardcore 15. These are 15 members that have agreed to be mentors within my Dose of Leadership University. Now it's time to expand the group. But I can't do it by myself. So that's why I wanted these Hardcore 15 members to help me expand, these mentors, if you will. So I'm opening up the doors, and I'm looking for 50 new members to join the Dose of Leadership University. What do you get if you join the group? Well, first and foremost, you get encouragement. Being a leader is tough. You can't do it by yourself. You need support. By joining this group, you're going to find encouragement and support that allows you to make the tough decisions to tackle your real-life leadership challenges and situations. You get insight by surrounding yourself by people with varying perspectives, different life experiences. We gain so much more when we seek wisdom from leaders, from people different than ourselves who represent various businesses and life experiences, and it's all about growth. Look, this whole purpose of this group is to push each other out of our comfort zone and into the growth zone, something that's very difficult to do by yourself. It's scary. Most people are not intentional in their lives. Look, they're just reacting to life. By joining this group, you're going to become intentional about it and set yourself apart by growing with purpose. And it's all about accountability. By joining this community, you're held accountable by your peers. Accountability leads to action and action leads to achievement. Accountability makes us all better leaders. That's why people join this group. And we do this by having a mastermind access twice a month. We meet over Zoom on Saturdays for an hour and a half, bringing our real life leadership challenges and the group solving it. It's so powerful to witness and be a part of. This mentorship access, access to myself and to my mentors, 24-7, 365 via email or text or our private community, but live within these mastermind accesses twice a month. It's very powerful. In addition, I bring in special guests. I'm approaching 500 conversations on this show. By joining this group, Every month and a half, I bring in a special guest, people that have been on my show, and they become part of the Dose of Leadership University, where if you're in the group, you get to interact live with these special guests. I haven't seen any other leadership community or training offer that kind of access. If this sounds like something you're interested in, I encourage you to go to doseofleadership.com university. That's doseofleadership.com university. And visit the landing page. I got a welcome video from me that explains it, everything I'm talking about here. You can see the mentors, people that you will access, what I call my hardcore 15, and you get to know them and see the varying backgrounds of professionalism and experience. And you get to see their testimonials. They're long testimonials because I want you to dive in and experience this and, and see if it's for you. Listen to what they have to say and how it's impacted their lives. And if you're thinking about joining, fill out the contact form, your name, your email, and your phone number, and we'll set up a time me and one of the mentors to see if this might be a good fit for you. I appreciate you taking time to be a listener of this show, and I'm really excited for you to possibly join the university. So let's get on with this conversation with Mike Hayes here on Dose of Leadership. Mike Hayes on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show, my friend. Richard, thank you so much. It's exciting to be here. Yeah, I love having SEALs on the show. I guess it's because I resonate with the small unit leadership aspect of it. When I worked in the corporate arena, so many aspects of the small unit leadership, which the Marine Corps kind of adopts that philosophy too. Uh, you guys do it in spades, but man, that's why I love talking to you guys. You know, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. These are fun conversations. Well, you got a new book out there called Never Enough and a uh, great job on it, by the way. And um, what I like about it was the the perspective is a little bit different than some of the other books I've read, particularly from the other SEALs that I've had on this show. It's, it's a little more high level than 
what I was expecting. And was that intentional behind that? Yeah, Richard, it really was. You know, I, I wrote never enough because in you know, everything that I've seen and done, whether it's the military, uh, government, the private sector, I just kept coming across the same kinds of principles that can help everyone, people, organizations uh, in the country to, to really be better. And, and that's the goal. I wrote this book, wrote never enough to lift up individuals to help lift up the people and the organizations in their own lives and to help all of us come together to make a better country, no matter what someone's role or place in life or skills or talents, just everybody on the planet can make a difference. And I think there's way more, there are way more similarities than differences between the organizations you've already mentioned mm -hmm. and everybody in the world. Yeah. And I, it, it's interesting. You could almost take the title of never enough. You could sit there and go, well, well, gosh, how, that's kind of a frustrating life to always like never be satisfied. But I get that. I mean, and maybe tell me if I'm if I'm going down the right path on this. But to me, it's kind of like, what is that? It, it reminded me of that Vince Lombardi quote, and I'm probably gooning it up. But he said, you know, we'll never achieve perfection, but we're going to pursue it, right? And 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 when we pursue it along the way, we'll achieve excellence. Does that make sense? I think I'm getting that quote right. And that's kind of the, the, the mindset that I'm getting from when you, the title Never Enough or what you're trying to get across. Because I guess some people could read it and go, well, gosh, what's the point? I'm never satisfied. At what point do you, do you get to relax and enjoy the fruits of your labor, right? Am I getting that right? Yeah, absolutely. And it is uh, in, intentionally a little bit um, provocative. You know, it, uh, Never Enough is really a concept to me that, that helps people think about the fact that we can all be working to be better and to impact more in, in, our, in our neighborhoods, in our, our towns, in our organizations, et cetera. The most important thing is to, is to know, it, it, to celebrate who we are and what we've done. And, and at, the, at the same time, always strive to be a little bit more and to, and to grow. Like when, when the human story is always a story about growth. And to me, the important thing is to think, What's the path to, to growth? I, I deeply believe that, uh, you know, we, we, need to, we need to try hard things in order to grow. I, I like to say, and I'm, and I'm sure I'm quoting somebody else. I just have no idea who it is. <laughs> but I like to say, don't, I'm not afraid of aiming high and missing. I'm afraid of aiming low and hitting. You know, mm. and so when we aim high and we miss, we still learn. Failure if we fail and learn. Failure is only failure if we fail and don't learn. So really, the, 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 the overarching theme here is one of, of growth and meaning and impact, while, of course, being really happy with who we are and what we've achieved. Yeah, it's almost like, it's funny how this theme has come up in the like, it's like in the last four or five episodes, we've talked about this process of this whole idea of leadership or pursuing this or, or making or leading a significant, what I'm hearing from you is this is about leading a significant life, right? I mean, all these, I mean, and that really is the obligation that I think that we have is to try to pursue this life of significance, not for ego, not for fame, fortune, and all that other stuff. I think, you know, those, those fruits of the labor will come if we focus on leading a significant life, but leading a significant life is messy. It's sloppy. It's very difficult. But there's joy in that difficulty. And as a SEAL, I mean, going through your SEAL training, it's kind of like the same thing, right? There's nothing more difficult than like going through BUDS or when I went through officer candidate school or I went through flight school. It was, all of that was just so mentally and physically taxing. 
but it was joyfully difficult. And I love that phrase, joyfully difficult, right? Does that make sense? Absolutely. I would much rather have that really hard day where I didn't quite achieve everything that yeah. I wanted to achieve. And, 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 and that's the, the, at the end of that day, you feel like you've done more, you've been more, you've learned more, you've, you've given more. Uh, I've had a lot of unique experiences. And, and, and again, back to the theme of, of the book is how do you see the conceptual similarities across various you know, people, uh, across pe- different situations and organizations? And I think what you're saying is, is universally true. We as, as, as humans are happier when we are trying something hard and learning and giving to others. Life is really just about the impact that we have. And, and of course, we have, to, we have to pay ourselves first and make sure that we're, rewar- we're rewarded. I don't mean that financially. I mean, in whatever feeds our own energy, whatever we all get, we all derive energy from different, different situations and opportunities. How do we, how do we attract, how do we lead ourselves into those situations where we are going to derive the most energy and then in so so far as that we end up giving back through that energy yeah you open up the book and particularly the first two chapters that kind of resonated with me i mean you know choosing the hard path i really like how you open up with that and that's what i'm hearing from you when you're saying that right i mean it's almost like sometimes choosing the hard path and i'm and i got to be careful here it's not you know it's not when I say hard path, I mean, I think you should do things smartly, like take the smart risk. And taking the hard path is not doing something hard. You know, if there's a better way to do it, doesn't, you know, don't intentionally pugil yourself or, you know, whip yourself in the back. But if you're finding yourself down a road, sometimes the hard path is the more fruitful one. Am I saying that right? You know, help me out with that, right? I mean, because that's what I'm hearing you say. Sometimes that hard path is where the, the excellence is, the knowledge, the capacity is more fruitful by going down the hard path. I think so. It resonates a lot. And um, the the thing that I that that I hear you saying simultaneously is something that is really important, which is to think about the the opportunity to make sure that you don't walk into something where there is no growth, because it will simply be the hard path being hard just for the sake of hard isn't what we need. We need the hard path where there will be growth and contribution and learning and impact along the way. Right. And the kind of example you give, the story you give is like, you know, you're you're sitting there and he's like, hey, look, walking down this way, like, hey, let's go down here, go down this valley or this draw or whatever. That's certainly, yeah, it's going to be easiest on us. But wait a second, that might also expose us, you know what I mean, to, and sure enough, let's just stay up here and let's set up camp in this kind of rocky ledge and it's not very comfortable. Yeah. And sure enough, here comes the Albanians or whatever. <laughs> they come through and, I mean, if we would have been there, we would have been discovered, right? And that's kind of the example yeah, you it's the concept of never assuming risk that's not worth assuming. And so the, the framework that I like to think about, Richard, is, is starting with vision. Vision to me is where we're going. Mm-hmm. And then the strategy is how we are going to get there. There are many different hows. And, and, then, and then there's execution, which is just the work that it takes to achieve the aforementioned strategy and vision. But the part to think about is really that strategy aspect of it, thinking, you know, do I take path A, B, C, or D? Well, how do you identify the most efficient path to achieve the goal? And that's one thing as SEALs that, that is ingrained in us from day one. I would say that like every SEAL has had a workout where they, they have to do a thousand sit-ups or a thousand push-ups. It sounds like a number that nobody can do. And frankly, nobody can do a thousand push-ups in a row perfectly or sit-ups in a row perfectly. But what you learn is that when the instructor is watching you, you do it damn near perfectly. 
but you also learn to figure out when can you cut corners and save a little bit of energy. And while that the the aspect and the, the thought of cutting corners when you're in is not a is not something that we grow up having our parents tell us, hey, go learn how to cut corners. You know, it's not a popular topic, but I think it's incredibly important because if you think about risk back to the earlier point you were making, it's really important to understand how do you achieve the 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 the, the vision and the in the, the the outcome that you want in the most, uh, in, in assuming the least amount of risk in order to, to get there. I like how you said that because it goes back to the thing that you, it would drive me crazy when I worked in the corporate arena for the 16, 17 years that I was there. Uh, and I would see, and I worked in areas that was highly technical, a lot of certification process, dealing with government agencies. And so there was a, t- a tremendous amount of planning involved. And <clears throat> eventually, and I'm all about planning as an aviator, I do detailed plans all the time, but what would drive me crazy is when the inevitable unforeseen reared its head, which it always did, something always came up, no matter how hard you planned, no matter how hard you trained and planned for, something that you weren't expecting came across. And what drove me crazy is when people would say, we got to rework the plan, rework the plan, rework the plan. And I would say, no, work the objective. Always remember what we're trying to accomplish here, because then that speaks, what I heard you say there speaks to that point. If I always have the objective in my mind, and that's where you, you open up this, that statement saying you have the vision, you know what the objective is, that will determine if you do cut corners. To me, that's the smart risk. You say cutting corners, it's like, well, I'm doing this because I know what the objective is. Maybe I can, you know, my objective, like given the example of the thousand push-ups, hey, I got to make sure I accomplish these thousand push-ups. Instructor's looking at you. It's going to be a little different than we're not. I'm still working the objective, right? If you're just focused on whether the instructor's looking or not, you're missing the point. But if you're focused on, I got to make sure I have energy to get to this thousand, right? Maybe I'm simplifying it, but that's how I. That's what I'm hearing you say. It's it's exactly right. And and the when you spend less energy doing something, the the minimal amount of energy that it takes to achieve the objective, then you get left with opportunity and opportunity options have value. So you can either spend that extra time it, with more work or more leisure. If you go back to econ 101, life is one of two things. It's work or leisure. But so if you can achieve your work in a fast, mo, in the most efficient way, you now have the option to either do more work or do le- or, or, t- or take leisure. That's what the SEAL mentality implicitly is. There aren't a lot of people that are talking about econ 101 when we're going on a mission, but that's implicitly what we're doing. Well, again, it goes, it, those decisions, it's that intentionality about what's the end state? What are we trying to accomplish? And never, so I, it, it always surprised me, particularly working in the corporate arena, how often we don't, we don't spend a lot of time on that. What are we trying to do here? I can't tell you how many times I sit there and like, well, what are we, why are we doing this? What are we trying to accomplish? And everybody just kind of stares at each other. Well, just, this is what we always do. Exactly. And that's why in an organization, the first thing you need to really do is align around that vision. Because mm-hmm. if you have a team of whether of four people or 40 people or 400 people, the when the vision isn't perfectly aligned, then through time or through the uh, achievement, achievement of the objective, you will get a little bit of mission drift. You will get people mm-hmm. who don't necessarily uh, all synchronize as well as they possibly could. I, as a corporate in the corporate world, one of the things I like to do is to, from time to time, pull back and with leadership teams say, "Hey, can we just take take a minute to write down like what are what are we actually trying to achieve here? What's our vision? What what's our goal?" 
And if you do the, 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 this as like a, a real exercise and you take a 10 person leadership team for a large organization or whatever, you'll never get 10 people whose answer is perfectly yeah, aligned. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, what are we trying to accomplish here? It's such an important question. I guess your timing, even then, when you look back at those experiences when you're in the SEALs, did you find that drift, particularly as, you're, as you got into the, the higher levels of command? And you've got the bigger picture. You're the guy back there with, you know, the big map and the big strategic vision. Did you find that drift happening? You know what I mean? I mean, how are you, how are you battling that drift in that type of, of situation? I, mean, I just, because the, the situation is always changing. But isn't that how, isn't that, wasn't that critical? To, I guess what I'm asking here is, wasn't that critical that always asking why? I mean, wasn't that one of your top priorities of being in that kind of command element of, because you had to communicate the intent, right? That was like your big deal, right? You always had to communicate the intent. Absolutely. It, it, but but the, I, would, I would challenge the premise of that a little bit because if I'm the person walking around with the map thinking that I'm going to come up with the best idea, as a, as a leader, mm. I'm probably wrong. Right, you right. Know? So I'll always have an idea about what we should do. But the most important is to build an organization that harnesses the ideas of a bunch of creative, smart people with a lot of different diverse experiences. And so the, um, the, the thing that I would do as a leader is step back and say, okay, how do we take our key leaders and collectively align around the vision like we just talked about and say, what are the outcomes that we're trying to achieve? And when you, and when you have a great organization, you can talk at that high level and then let people who are closer to the various problems that they see on their own back, uh, back porch or you know, in their own arenas, if you will, let them figure out how to think about the outcome we're trying to achieve and then figure out what do you actually go do? Because if I'm as a leader telling people way down in the organization what to do, yeah. I have completely failed. Yeah. It's like painting this, like your job is, is defining the sandbox. And I don't think people truly appreciate how difficult and how time consuming defining that sandbox can be, right? Because it, the easy thing to do is insert yourself lower and lower into the organization because it's fun to do the tactics and the how. But you've got to fight and stay at that higher level and, and paint the, define the sandbox, make sure you got the right resources in the sandbox. That's a lot of work. And it's, a, it's, a, it's mainly a communication function, right? I mean, it's almost all about communication, it seems like, you know. It, it is, well, communication is just a modicum of thinking, right? It, any communication starts with the thinking. And so That's I true. think that in, in this situation, I believe that the natural pull is what you said, which is how do I go turn the wrench myself or, or plot the course on the yeah, map myself right. of what we should do? That's way more fun. Trust me, in many ways, it is so much less fun to be the commander of a SEAL team than to be a 24-year-old SEAL going on the mission. I, could, I believe you know, that. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's also incredibly fun and, and, and awesome and empowering to, to be in leadership roles, and, and, and both are wonderful. But the, um, the, the point I'm trying to make is that it takes a discipline, an internal discipline to keep yourself uh, away from over, from micromanaging from, for, or, from, or, or from getting too much in the weeds. Yeah. What, one, I remember one of the first times I worked with the SEALs, um, this was in between the two uh, Gulf Wars when we were just working with the Mew and you guys met up with us in Kuwait and we were going to do some uh, halo drops. And I remember we were doing the brief right there on the airfield, Ali Azalim Air Base. I remember we kept, we were having a challenge or this or that. And like, there were a lot of challenges involved. And I won't get into all the details, but I mean, it was, and I was just like, and I remember uh, my aircraft commander, I was a co-pilot at the time and he's like, hey, I'm sorry about all this. And we don't have this, we don't have that, don't have this. 
And I remember the, the team lead that was there doing the drop. He said, hey, man, we got to embrace the suck. That was the first time I heard that. He goes, let's just embrace the suck, man. We'll get this done. And so I love that term because it's, and you talk a little bit about in your book, like the, you know, building the comfort with discomfort. That's how I kind of taking that kind of my experience in the Marine Corps was like, we always seemed like we were always doing more with less. We always had, you know, we never had enough, whatever, finances, resources, time. We were always shorthanded on something, but we always got it done. And it was that embrace that suck mentality of like, or or comfortable with being uncomfortable, comfortable with dealing with the uncertainty. Comfortable with making decisions with partial information. Like that was the first time I heard the 75% rule in the Marine Corps, right? Like, hey, let's just get comfortable making decisions with partial information. How is that all resonating with you with all everything that I was saying, saying right there? Uh, deeply is the answer to your question. And in SEAL training, that's exactly what we do. You don't realize when you're 18 or 21 years old going through SEAL training what's actually happening. The, uh, the community is smart and knows how to teach things without seeming like you're teaching things. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the, the thing is, you know, my class started with 120 guys and 19 graduated. And what happened to the, the 101 who didn't graduate? Great human beings, incredibly talented in different ways. Being a SEAL wasn't meant for them. No problem. The thing that the, the 19 had in common is that as you get stretched out of that comfort zone, that, and you get a little bit wobbly, whether it's a 50 meter underwater swim or a five and a half nautical mile swim or being awake for a week straight in hell, hell week. Those are the kinds of things that push you way out of your comfort zone. And candidly, you think to yourself ahead of time, like, whoa, what's this going to be like? And, and as you get out of that comfort zone, sure, there's a lot of learning there. But what happens when you after that evolution or after that day, you kind of rest and recover again. The next day, you just get stretched even further. So your old limits become the new normal. And so through time, you keep stretching people's limits further and further and further. But the most important thing, a lot of people here and there is that their limits get stretched further and further. That's true and important. But the most important thing, Richard, is learning how to be when you are in that uncomfortable, wobbly edge. And and, um, and so what you do is you build up uh, muscle memories and pattern matching and, and abilities to, to kind of say, Okay, I'm I'm in a situation I've never been in before, and and you can remain calm. Calm breeds calm. You can be hyper logical. You can be quick. You can still be quick. And, and a lot of people look at the discomfort as a as a reason to deviate from their morals or their ethics or or to talk poorly to somebody else and and to give you an excuse like life is really hard. I have an excuse of why I can be something bad, you know, and, and that's, couldn't be further from the truth. Those are the opportunities to really prove to yourself and to others who you are. And it's not even about proving who you are. It's about having impact and having a positive leadership effect on others. And that's what I'm no different than every any seal, like every single seal has that, that makes it through the training has the, 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 the attributes that I'm describing. And so that being that composed force in that, and that's what I heard you say is like the, the key is getting comfortable with that discomfort and remaining that composed force in that chaotic situation, whether it be internal or external, that's the money-making piece of it. That's where you start to get really the bang for the buck is what I'm hearing, right? And I, I agree with that 100%. It's like, it's not, a, I see so many people spending a ton of time, energy, and resources and trying to make things as smooth as possible. I'm all for things being smooth, but the reality is they get kind of freaked out when something disrupts that kind of smoothness or that calmness. Yeah. And I think that if you can spend, if you can dedicate your time, and I'm all for planning, keeping things smooth and trying to avoid dragons if you need to, 
But a dragon's going to rear its head at some point, no matter how hard I try. And if if I spend my limited time, energy, and resources of the bulk of it learning how to be that composed force within that, that's where we start making a difference. And that's where I think is those are the type of leaders that we need. That's the type of individuals that we need in organizations. That's how we need to navigate through life, right? To be that composed force in that chaotic situation, that's, that's money to me. I, I couldn't agree more. In, in the never enough theme is that it doesn't just apply to SEAL training. It's mm-hmm. the White House. It's the running, Everything. helping run large public companies. It is a metaphor. These are metaphors for life, yes. right? And so that's the, so that's what I've seen as I've navigated, you know, three large, you know, large corporate organizations or, uh, you know, through, through running defense policy and strategy in two different White Houses. These are the commonalities. And so the, I, I believe that, you know, you, you, you need to, step back and say, life isn't about trying to avoid the dragon. They're always going to come up, like you said. And what what it really is about is having the agility so that when the dragon comes up, you can figure, you can react. You see, in the, in the private sector, I've been in a million different uh, meetings where people say, oh, we're, we're developing a playbook for that. Well, the thing about life is that you can't go make as many playbooks as there are combinations and permutations of bad things that are <laughs> yeah, going to go happen. I love the way so yeah. to me, the making a playbook is useless. The yes. only thing that matters is making one, what I describe as a meta playbook. A meta playbook is a playbook for how to create a playbook in the moment. And so the, so that's what SEALs do. We, we dynamically figure out, we go start at that objective, like you described before, and we figure out how to organize ourselves. And irrespective of rank, it's it's really who's the right person to play what right what role at the right time in the organization and have the humility to set aside any sort of like ego, whether it's hierarchical mm-hmm. or or simply just recognition. So the, again, I, I really deeply believe the the agility is one of the key parts of of, deri- of success, and it is also a key part of the book. I love that visual or analogy of the meta, the meta playbook or the overarching playbook to deal with the unforeseen circumstances, right? That meta, how'd you, how'd you describe that? The meta playbook? The meta playbook it, to me this is the only playbook you need yes. is the playbook for creating other playbooks. Yep. I like it. So you yeah. create. So when something arises, you're like, okay, we need a playbook for this thing that arose. Because you could go make a hundred playbooks, but it's that hundred and first thing that will hit you, and you're not going to have a playbook for it. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you how do you teach your organization how to react? Yeah. And there are so many components of this, Richard. There's there's the commu- there's the starting at the outcome and working backward. There's the communication aspect of it. There's the 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 integration of various parts of your business or your, or your team and, and saying, who's going to, how, how do you decide what you do collectively and what you break away and do individually? How do you come back together? And, and, and this is what, what you just get implicitly very good at as a seal, but it's also very, very applicable, if not more applicable in, in the private sector. Yeah. Yeah. This speaks to, you know, the, the chapter five, we're talking about learning how to think and not what to think the agility stuff, you know, is what you're talking about here. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's I love that statement because what happens is we come off of an operation that that could have been the front page of the newspaper. We don't spend our time talking about what went well. Inertia will keep whatever was going well, going well again in the future. Right. We spend our time talking about what didn't go well. That's where the highest return on the investment of our time is. That's where how we will get the most 
impact, positive impact and growth for us as individuals and as an organization. So what, what we do is I've been in so many of these, what we call after action reports or debriefs or hot washes or different words with all the same thing. But I'll hear some, you know, 21 year old new seal that says, you know, I came out of the building, I turned left, I did this, I turned right. And, and, and people will, will say, you will, you know, that what's important isn't whether you turned left or you turned right. The important thing is the why behind it. Yeah. What did you see? What was the logic that you, that caused you to turn left? Let's think about that. And, and unpacking that deeper why is the how you think, because that's going to be replicable. You'll never be in the same operation again with the same circumstances in the same situation. Mm -hmm. What you will be in is in a situation that takes the principles for the, the deeper why, the principles for why you turned left. And so if you talk at that level about the principles of it, then you're going to, then you're going to reapply that on some other operation that's going to look incredibly different on, 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 uh, at face value, but conceptually identical. Yeah. In, in the corporate, I love what you're saying. And I'm just thinking back the times when, when I've been in leadership roles in the corporate arena and trying to get the people to see that. Sometimes I was successful. A lot of times I wasn't. And I was trying to think of the times when I wasn't successful. Um, it was because, you know, I, I didn't take the time to get people to think like you, like you were saying there. I wasn't getting people, I wasn't stretching people. In other words, I was focusing on, into, for your example, it was like, the turn, you know, hey, you should have turned right and turned left. I didn't, I didn't take it a deeper asking him, why did you, you know, what were you thinking when you turned left, right? I was just kind of thinking, damn it, you should have turned left instead of turning right, you know? And I wasn't asking those questions that you were talking about. Well, why were you going left? What, was, what were you thinking there? Yeah. That, that, that's why teaching people how to think is so much more important yeah, than telling them what to think. Exactly. Because you're creating an organization. You're, create, you're also creating a, a succession plan in your organization. In the, in, anywhere in the military, you know better than me, you're going to be in a job for maybe two to four years. And four years is very long. You know, we rotate. It's one so thing much. the Department of Defense gets massively right, which is rotating and keeping people growing in different jobs. And then you're drawing on different experiences. So a lot of times in the private sector, people hear 20 or 30 years of military service as being just one big homogenous thing. You, anybody who served knows that that couldn't be further from the truth because we're, we're learning and growing along the way. And yeah. so that's why that, uh, that, that principle of, of how to think are the things that will cause the growth through time. Well, yeah. And then you're right. And, and with that, having or putting a tremendous amount of intention behind shared values and competence so that you can have those rotations, right? And I think that's something that organizations do miss is, is because we rotate so much in those military environments, you've got to have a set of shared values and competence so you can rotate guys in and out, right? And because you always have that foundation of those shared values and competence. And a lot of times that's missing in the corporate arena. Well, it's taking the time to mentor. Busy leaders always mentor. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's it, you, everybody's heard the expression. Uh, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. You know, <laughs> it, 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 I, I, I believe that it's so important as a, as a leader when you are busy to slow down and mentor, because what you're really doing is you're creating that next generation and working yourself out of a job. Another expression that, that I've heard and can't attribute to whom it's, it's uh, heard it so many different times. But the best measure of a leader is how many leaders that leader creates. Yeah, it's the, it's the whole transformational piece of it. Well, even thinking back to in my mil that's what I loved about kind of the mindset of the, of the military. Because we had those rotations, because we had those shared values and competence, because we were always focusing on, you know, for, for the large measure, 
you know, it was easy for people to wrap their arms around what we're trying to accomplish, the big why behind we're trying to accomplish. But w- there was someone in training, was in senior NCO that I had in my squadron, and he said, my job is like, every, my short time that I'm here is to teach you to take my job. And certainly when you get into to small unit leadership like, like the SEALs or even in the infantry in the Marine Corps side, it's like every day was spent around teaching somebody else to take your job because it's a necessity, right? Because if I get knocked out of the fight, this person has to take over. So there's this big openness, the opening the kimono and showing what we have. You know, I'm not hiding my decision-making process. I'm not hiding the, the, the big picture. I'm showing you everything that I know so that you're prepared to take my job. So it's like every single day was around that training aspect of teaching someone to take your job. That's, you talk about that too in your book about, the, you know, you, you gain that authority by giving it away. That's really what everybody's doing at every level. I'm giving all this authority away at every level and it just, you create well, this. And there's two key, two key things that you're teasing out there. It's the concept of, of humility, which we've t- spoken mm-hmm. about a little bit. Uh, w- one thought on that is that you know, you, you, we often end up highly confident people when we're, you know, running, you know, SEAL teams or, 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 or SEAL missions or you're flying airplanes or lots of different roles. By the time you've, you've uh, spent your, your foundational years learning something, by and large, we get pretty good at it and we get confidence. What's important is not to confuse confidence with humility. Yeah. They're two totally different things. Yeah. We can live in that, that quadrant that's, that's both humble and confident. And, um, and the other part that you're hitting on is, is the, a culture of transparency, right? So mm-hmm. if I'm a leader, a lot of leaders take on that uh, aspect of knowledge is power. And if I have the knowledge, I have more power. Mm-hmm. That, is the, that is one of the most basic, biggest mistakes that yep. a leader can make. Agreed. Is that if you don't start with the assumption that the people on your team are smart and trustworthy – then you failed. You haven't built the right team. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the, the the people on the team or the culture that you've espoused, you've done something wrong. Yeah. And so, if you can share the info, the more you can share with the team, the more you can pull people up. You know, we as we all have different gifts and abilities on the planet, and so if we can use those attributes that we're good at to pull others up, then we can be around people who have other attributes that they're good at. They good at. They can pull us up. I like to say that we're the average of the people we hang out with. So the more we hang out with people who are smarter, faster, and stronger than us, the smarter, faster, and stronger we will become. But it's also our obligation to pull others up in the areas where we have the, the skills, the experience, the abilities. And with that comes the, the necessity in a leader to stand in front of a room say and, and say, I don't know, but here's how we're going to figure it out. I love that. Or to say, here's what we do know. Let's go figure it out together. Because look, the, the 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 most important part to me is is being able to share the information transparently because that will be the biggest accelerant to success is un- unlocking and harnessing the minds of the other people who are on the team. Yeah, you said some great things there, and I, I think back to the time. You know, it's funny when people are outside and they got the perceptions, and I understand why they have the perceptions. I mean, Hollywood TV and everybody else, they get the perceptions of you know, here comes this commander commanding officer here comes this SEAL team commander or the commanding officer of the squadron or whatever and they think that they're the ones with all the answers it w- was amazing to me the 10 years active particularly in the marine corps and the time the interactions i had with seals is the amount of humility the amount of transparency the amount of authenticity that emanated from those great leaders that i worked for they were not a guy with a you know chewed up cigar walking in there like Patton in their room or john wayne they were these very humble, authentic individuals that 
maybe didn't fit the stereotypical images of the Hollywood image of what this leader was like. Sometimes they were quirky. Sometimes they were they didn't look the part, but they had a presence about them, and their their command presence emanated, I think, from what you were talking about there, from this authenticity and transparency, which really had a tremendous amount of love attached to that. I don't know what you think about when you hear that, but there, it, it, to me, the Marine Corps was one of the most loving organizations that I worked in when it was firing in all all cylinders. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. It absolutely absolutely does. It it could not be more true that the reason we do things is not just for a flag or the principle of democracy. Yeah. The real reason we do things is for the love of our teammates. The guy next and while, to you. And yeah. while, you know, when you're 24, you don't walk around and tell your teammate, your, your teammates that you love them. It's just <laughs> not something that you do, right. you know, but as you get older, you realize that it really is love that you're, that, that binds people together. And, and I could tell you stories where, People move forward in, in gunfights, in heavy volumes of fire to go save a wounded teammate. Yeah. That is, in those moments, you don't do that for a flag. You do that because of the love for that person. And I, I've written up many silver stars and in, 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 um, in, in some of the, the people who, who, you, who you know. And, um, and, and there's nothing better than seeing people recognize that it's people ultimately who we, who we serve. Yeah, you know, that in your chapter eight talks about that in your book. And it reminded me of I befriended a Iwo Jima Marine. Long story less long, you know, he was 16, lied about his age, and joined the Marine Corps in 1942. Guadalcanal, latter half of Guadalcanal, Tinian, I think, or maybe Tarawa, I can't remember which one, the second one. And then first wave of Iwo Jima and got injured on the 17th day of Iwo Jima. Anyway, just amazing stories. And I could, we could talk for an hour about just his stories about what he went through and just, you know, all between the ages of 16 and 19, you know, just amazing. And he was, he passed away three years ago. But one time when, um, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago, he was in the hospital. He wasn't dying yet, but he was there. And I went down to go visit him with my daughter. And he, he was telling the stories again that I've heard many times. And I, he was with his wife and I asked him, God, you know, Jim, I've heard these, these such great stories. I mean, you know, all that you've seen, things that you probably sh- no one should have seen between 16 and 19. What was the big takeaway from all that now that you've had this life to kind of look back? And what was your big lessons from that? He didn't flinch. He didn't even pause or think. Like he just said, I learned how to love another human being very deeply. And he carried that with me. And it kind of took me aback when he said it. And I was like, whoa. And his wife started crying. He's like, it's true. He's learned how to love. He t- the lessons he learned from going through all that bullshit you know, and seeing stuff that no one should have to see and experiencing what no one should have to experience. He walked away with that living a life like I learned how to love other people deeply because that's why he did what he did, he said. So, yeah. That- yeah, well, you know, that's be- that, that really truly is beautiful. And I'll, I'll just share like, look, I, I, I'm no different again than many SEALs. I've, I've, we, we as a community have buried more than 50 teammates in, in the last decade, decade and a half. And, um, and a lot of these are really really, really close friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I wake up too early on some mornings, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I live a life now of trying, of trying to serve and remember the, the gold star families and the families of, of those who've been wounded and, um, and have given a lot more than the average person to this nation. Yeah. So, and then that's where with the book, never enough, 
I'm donating all of my profits to a 501c3 I started that pays off mortgages for Gold Star families. That's great. There's no website, no fanfare, no nothing. It's just a very quiet organization that as I as I raise money through the book and other things, then then I I've I'm, I'm paid we've paid off five houses now and made real real impact in five widows' lives who who live a life of heavy obligation for the rest of their lives and you know, children who don't have their dads around and how do I keep their memories alive? How do I keep their children when they were, when they're growing up through their teen years or, or in their twenties and thirties and forties, how do I continue to, to tell them who their father was? And, and, and I'm talking about me, but this is the community of the SEALs and the military writ large. We've all, anybody who's served in the last two decades has experienced these types of issues. Mm-hmm. Again, skills don't have the corner market on taking care of people. This is a, a thing that happens broadly in the entire Department of Defense, as you know well. That's great. It's so awesome that you, def- you know, it, all the proceeds are going towards that, uh, paying off those mortgages. That's great. That's awesome. All the more reason why people should buy the book, for sure. Well, I think what I love about how you, you kind of wrap up the book is there's, there's three sections of the book, uh, you know, never excellent enough, uh, never agile enough. And then the section three is never meaningful enough. And what we were talking about here, the part even about the love, you know, that we live and die for people, not causes, is, which is so true. Um, but what I, I got from that section is, and this is what I love about the book, that, and look, I've been a leadership junkie for a long time, ever since I was in the Marine Corps. And, and doing this show, I've even morphed over the last eight years. The show's eight years old this week. And, and realizing how, you know, and I'm 52. How old are you? I'm, what, you're around I'm 49. I'm 49, so we're about the same age. <clears throat> and maybe it's just be, as we're getting in the third quarter of our life, maybe it's becoming there. But I think just I, I used to look at leadership was about like how can I get the, the team? It was, just, oh, it was just so – my point is it was just around the objective, right? And sometimes the objective was ego-driven. Uh, then I kind of morphed into, yeah, now it's more about the business, but it's still making an impact. But now over the last – particularly the last decade, the last eight years, even doing the show and having conversations with people like you is like, we're here for a short time. What is the obligation that we have? And what I get the sense from the book or why you're writing this book is that, look, we're here for a short time. We all have an obligation, obligation to put our values out in the world, to make an impact, to make the, I call it make the campsite better than you found it. Kind of like in Boy Scouts, right? They always said, hey, let's make sure we make the, like Scoutmasters, like we need to make this place better than when we found it. And I think that's really the universal obligation that we all have, right? And if we don't live up to that or we don't attempt to try to do that, we're kind of shaming the universe. That's kind of where, I, where I'm at now in my life. And I feel like your book is kind of that message like, hey, look, if you don't do this, you're kind of shaming the universe because, you know, it, 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 we need to live a life of like it's never meaningful enough. We need to pursue this meaning. We need to put our values out there in the world. That's that's what I'm getting from it. Sorry, I said a lot there, but that's that's no. What I'm all, we, we, look, we all have potential, and and the thing that I really don't want people to walk away with is uh, I'm not a seal. I'll never be a seal. Therefore, this isn't for me. Right. And so that what's really important is, and this is what that last section is all about, which is it doesn't matter if you're a seal or. Uh, or any other profession. We're all the same. People are ultimately all the same. We all have good in us. We all have the ability to um, to have the impact you're talking about. We all have different, we, different uh, things that give us energy. We need incredible teachers, doctors, lawyers, you know, every, every profession that, that makes the, the economy go. If you really step back and, and again, go back to Econ 101, think about gross domestic product. 
GDP is just the total economic output of either a nation or the globe. GDP is a function of two things, labor and productivity. Labor is a function of fertility rates and or immigration migration. You know, those are those are two. Th so said differently, the labor, the, the labor aspect of it does doesn't change that much. The way we change the world is through productivity and, and improving ourselves and improving others and improving organizations. And when you improve productivity, you have more gross debt, no more total economic output. So when when we're a nation that wants to be great, we need that productivity in a huge way across a wide variety of of of, uh, of sectors, of organizations, of of types of people, etc. So no matter whether where someone's interests lie, there's a way to contribute to the world that gives us more, you know, pro more productivity, more output, and then with that more output. We get a beautiful thing. We can go buy, sure. We can go buy more seals, buy more you know security. But what we could also consider is buying more healthcare, more 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 education, more uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so from a, a national standpoint, it gives us options because we can we can choose where and how to spend that improved um, gross domestic product. And I, and I don't mean to be all economically on this. It's not even a word what I just said, but, but <laughs> I got uh, it, don't call my English teacher. But the point is that, um, you know, when we think about, we, we need to respect the fact that everybody's different. Everybody draws their energy from a different way and everybody's going to pick the paths that make the most sense to them. And that's really the message is figure out what path makes the most sense to you where you can have the, the greatest impact and then respect the fact that we all pick different paths. And it's really the, 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 the just a question of whether we're, we are contributing like we can and should. Yeah, well said. And I, I, you hit on a point there. I think it's right. I think sometimes it, you know, people see these you know, people like yourself, a Navy SEAL commander, um, you think it's not going to relate. But I, the, the, the key takeaway that I get from, and this is the blessing, I think, that guys like you that went through Navy SEAL training or small unit leadership training is it gave you this on steroids, this uh, mindset of excellence, this mindset of agility, like you said, and then also the meaning and the purpose. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is people shouldn't be, this isn't a book about, oh, look, you know, I was kicking down doors and, and, and taking bad guys' names and pulling them out. And I did some really, you know, Harry stuff and rappelling down buildings that are about to blow up. I had the guns pulled on me. Yeah, that's all cool and great stories. But and I think a lot of times people think that'll never be me. But what I love about what you did in the book is like you just were given you were fortunate enough to come out on the other side and you had that fifteen to twenty years of excellence, agility, and meaning pumped into you. Right. And everybody that goes through those types of experience, I the same thing with me. With that's when I get away from the Marine Corps experience, that when I'm in it, you don't realize it. But when you get away from it and you can marinate on it and look back on it with a little bit of wisdom, you're like, wow, I learned a lot of stuff in 10 years that I still apply every single day of my life. Every single, there's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't reflect back on those 10 years active duty flying planes for the Marine Corps. And that's got to be with you in spades because you went there and saw things even more so with the combat, with you know making decisions with parcel information, with real life and death consequences like you know that nobody can relate to but that's not the point you're not trying to tell these cool stories you're trying to tell them hey i got to see things 
hyper-pumped and hyper-focused, and that's what you're trying to get across, right? Am I saying that right? I'm having trouble yeah. kind of explaining it. No, right? no, it, it, absolutely. The uh, it, what, what you're really, let me try, let me say back in different words what I'm hearing you say. What you're saying is leadership is really a function of people. Yeah. Right. Because it is knowing your teammates. And so knowing what makes them uh, motivated and excited or or conversely, you know, frustrated and upset. You know, and so when we think about go back to that, that that objective, what we were talking about toward the beginning is once we coalesce around an objective, my job as a leader is to know how to, to take the, the five or the 50 people that are needed to achieve the objective and figure out who's motivated by what. And, and how do we translate how the, the achieving the vision and what it means for them as individuals in, in more of the corporate world, you know, well, in life, I think we're really motivated as humans by basically the same things. It's some combination, different weightings of simple things like, uh, like learning quality of life, compensation, promotion, public recognition. I bet if we named five more things at the whiteboard, we'd capture the majority of what everybody's motivated by. And everybody has different yeah. weightings of, of those different things, right? Yeah. So if you're motivated by promotion and somebody else is motivated by compensation and somebody else next to you is motivated by public recognition, how do I, as the leader, take the really hard thing we're trying to achieve and translate it on and how the promotion person is going to get promoted, the comp person is going to get more comp, and the public recognition is going to get that person is going to get more public recognition. Now you're hitting those like levers that really get them from you know maybe 80 or 100 percent to the 120 percent of effort. And the thing is, it's not a fake you know BSE superficial kind of conversation. This is like really knowing where someone wants to get to in the next one or three or five years in their own lives, yeah. and then helping them get there. A lot of bias that happens in advice in, in mentorship is that you, the mentor tells the mentee that they should really look a lot like them. You know, the path that I took was awesome. I'm so smart. You should basically do the same thing as me. You know, and so how do we take that bias out and really connect people in the ways that resonate with them, not the ways that resonate with us as leaders? And again, don't the inverse of what I'm saying is also true with the what makes people frustrated and upset. So the art form is just the understanding that whole set of, of motivations and achieving an, an, an outcome together. That's what I hear you saying. I love it. Well, yeah, thanks for, yeah, it, it means a lot. Well, I think that, I think the book is, is a great book. You did a great job with it. I mean, it really is a book that I think, I mean, anybody can pick up and share, teach, inspire. Um, you're sharing your stories, you know, read those stories, but it's, it's a teaching book. It's an ins inspirational book. And I love the fact too that you've you've pledged to to donate the the royalty earnings uh, to that eleven sixty two the eleven sixty two foundation, right? The, the the name of it to help those yes. gold gold star families paying off mortgages. That's huge. I mean, you're you're giving back. And so I think anybody listening to this, I mean, pick up the book. I mean, with with everybody's help, let's you know grow that number, whatever that number is going to be, um, so we can help those families because it is like you said. I mean, you've come out on the other side. You saw a lot of stuff. Probably nobody, people shouldn't have to see, do things that people don't have to deal with. And um, so I think I'm hearing from you, this is a way of, of giving back and taking those experiences um, yeah. and to help those people that, that, you know, have paid the ultimate sacrifice. So I appreciate you doing that. No, th thank you. I, I think that in life, when you can create win, win, win kind of situations, it's really ideal. 
uh, you know, just I'm really good at helping other people in life. I'm really bad at asking for help myself. So yeah. I knew from the beginning of this thing, like I, I could never sit here and say, hi, go buy this book because I get, you know, whatever, however many dollars out of every book. It's just not me. It's not who I am. And so I, I feel like the um, the opportunity here to both share you know, almost three decades of experience across a bunch of different diverse backgrounds that, that where I've been incredibly privileged to be in hard situations, sometimes done well, sometimes done very much less than well and learn through it all. So I think that someone who reads the book gets the benefit of those almost three decades of learnings, but also can feel really good because we're making a huge difference in both awareness and then very, very tangibly in someone's, some family's life who doesn't have their father or their husband for the rest of their own life. And so to me, I, I just feel really tremendously excited and fortunate to be able to bring Never Enough to the world. I love it. Never Enough is a book, a Navy SEAL commander on living a life of excellence, agility, and meaning. Mike, what a great conversation. Is there anything that you want to say that we haven't talked about here as we wrap up? Richard, I've really enjoyed it. I, my only last statement would just be to say thank you to everybody who's listening. Thank you for, for the contributions that you make in your own you know, families and organizations and in your own societies that you live in. You know, we, this is a great and incredible nation that can always be a little bit better. And, and how we do that is, is basically by, by, by really working hard to contribute I just, I just really appreciate everybody who's working to make this a great nation. And, and thank you, Richard, for your part in that by helping bring many, many guests through your own show and bringing this uh, very diverse viewpoints and thoughts to the world. You're, you're also an incredible contribution to the nation. And, and I really deeply appreciate you and your time today. Well, thank you for the kind words. What about people reaching out to you? What, is there a way that people can connect with you? Easiest thing is probably through LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, Mike Hayes. And I'm, I'm open. Sometimes I get a little flooded, but I do read everything and, and will answer as best I humanly can. Appreciate that. I'll have links to all that in the post notes and, and also where you can get the book. You can get the book, I'm assuming, everywhere where books are sold. So uh, pick up your copy. Never enough. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Richard, thank you kindly. Have a great day, my friend. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.